Hey guys, Steve here. Potent Phonics. Today we're going to talk about growing with fishes. Growing with fishes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 347. Uh, we are uh, here this week with Dustin Powers from Future 4200. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, man? Happy to be on again. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had you on um, back way back when, before my silly eight, I believe it was uh, last, and uh, had some really cool conversations and uh, wanted to get you back on for your own episode because it was such a good time, so. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on. If you guys aren't familiar with the show, be sure to hit that like and subscribe. And uh, you guys can find us on all the different platforms, um, whatever it is. And uh, this show is also over on Rumble. So if you don't want to watch it on YouTube uh, because of some of their practices lately, you can also watch the show uh, on Rumble. It goes up pretty shortly after it gets finished up here on, on YouTube when we do it live. So check it out over there if you want to support that platform instead. Alrighty, guys. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, um, uh, Dustin Powers is uh, one of the co-creators of one of the coolest websites that's out there. Um, make sure I got the right screen pulled up. Okay. Um, you can check it out over at Future 4200. They have a lot of really cool um, discussions on extract tech, um, all different types of hashtag, all different types of different stuff. I know when I was working on um, some of the more experimental extractions, especially some of the more exotic solvents, uh, I think it was you and uh, Fuck Combustion were the only two p- places I could even find some of the d- more interesting and more rare types of int- uh, stuff that I've seen out on there and different ideas that were kind of maybe off the wall or, or just less less traditional. And uh, it's something that I've really found as kind of a really cool resource. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. It's always, uh, it's always fun to talk to like-minded people. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh kind of how you got started into this uh whole uh universe of uh uh all things um you know regenerative and, and cannabis and you're also a mushroom expert as well which we'll get into uh, a little later on uh, in fact that's actually where we met in person the first time was out at uh, uh our good friend Cass, who runs a, a, the wonderful event at myciliate uh, um we met out there so uh, yeah so uh, give us a little bit of a, a background on yourself well, just right off the bat, I'm, not, I'm definitely not an expert in anything mushroom. I'm an amateur, all things mushroom <laughs> by far. Um, I do have, I'm a partner in a mushroom extraction class, but I, a lot of my businesses are structured this way where I'm the partner that connected all the people that know what the fuck they're doing, put them all together and made a little business and took like a little sliver of it. So uh, we have experts that teach that class. I'm not one of them. Um, but I guess I got started in cannabis same way a lot of people do is you start smoking and it's expensive and you're a teenager. So you, the next logical step is to start selling it. And, uh, I went to college doing kind of the same thing. And, uh, at the time it was medical in Washington. So we, uh, were ardent participants in the Washington state medical market. Um, part of that put me in the car driving all the time. I started listening to the podcast and I listened to one called the survival podcast. And it's all about, preparedness for if times get tough and even if they don't um and he's uh he's the one that taught me about permaculture the the first time um and that put me on a mission to buy some land 
which I did in 2012, about 20 acres out here in Pacific County, Washington, down on the southern coast. Mm, and we spent the last decade developing that into a food forest type slope farm with terraces and swales and ponds all interconnected. Um, and then in 2018, I bought the property that I'm on right now. And in COVID, I built this house that we're in. Um, and so, and then we're, you know, building a little homestead with my small, I got three small kids. Uh, we're kind of just building this little homestead here. Um, after I got out of the medical side of the cannabis, I, when Washington legalized in 2014, uh, I started poking around on the legal market and I got hooked up with the skunk farm guys and, uh, that got me into cannabis processing. And one of our farmers had actually all of our farmers at the time had this problem where they had all this trim and old material that was laying around most, they put it in trash bags and they stack it up in the corner of like their shop. I'd, <laughs> we call them trash bag mountains. We'd go, all the different farms would have these and we'd go and, uh, I figured out like nobody wanted to blast it at the time because the, the returns were not good and we were not doing, you know, it was old dirty shit and the CRC hadn't been invented yet. So it was like pointless to pack tubes of the shit. So we kind of stumbled into ethanol extraction at scale and we did it super hillbilly. And I just started like explaining that technique to people. Uh, we did that for several years and then skunk farm got involved in like a legal battle and, I was doing a little bit of consulting and the client had asked me um, a question and the answer I had just seen somewhere on Instagram. And so I was like, hang on a sec. I think I can find it. And like for 10 minutes, I was scrolling through comments on Instagram. Um, mind you, this is like 2016. So it was kind of relatively earlier time, a uh, smaller cannabis community at the time on Instagram, um, but I couldn't find it. And I have thought, I was like, damn, I wish there was a forum for cannabis processing where this question would have been asked and I could have found it by using the search bar. Um, and then like two weeks later, Sidco and I were working a trade show, uh, and Sidco is the co-owner of future 4200. He's really the, the primary owner of the, the majority owner of the website. Um, he said, dude, you should start a forum for extraction. And I was like, man, I don't know anything about that, but I just had that same idea and you, I know you know about it. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So he built this whole entire thing and we just named it after my Instagram handle because we leveraged like a, the Instagram algorithm at the time to drive a massive amount of traffic to the forum, which then like really ranked up our SEO without even trying at all. And then all of a sudden it became the de facto, like you type in Google and on Google, like also any, almost any question about cannabis processing, we're going to be on the first page. It's crazy. So, um, we did that. And then in the meantime, I had started the Good Life Gang, which is kind of like the physical representation of the community that the forum has cultivated um, and is a membership discount club for cannabis processors. So if you process cannabis, I can save you money on equipment and your consumables uh, guaranteed. Um, and then we also throw cool little events all over the country and sometimes outside of the country. Um and through all of that, I was an early Bitcoin adopter and a long-term hodler. And um, all those things put together have allowed me to live this life where I just kind of work on the homestead most of the time. It's great. Hang out with the family. So that's what I do now. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And there really is a lot of different cool little rabbit holes you can find uh, on that forum, especially if you're you know, really trying to perfect a, a certain way of extraction or, or hash making. There really is a lot of really good guides on there. Um, it's kind of like the uh, 
the shroomery.org of the uh, uh, ex cannabis extraction world uh, in terms of depth uh, really is a really, really great resource. Yeah. And, and, you know, we had earlier forums that existed, but a lot of them are dead, like ICMAG. And none of them were ever focused on cannabis processing. They were always like mostly cannabis cultivation. And then they'd have like a single sub category for processing, like, you know, hash, and that would be it. And I wanted like a dialed in specifically processing with like one little sub for cultivation, right? We're the opposite. And um, yeah, it's become, it, it is still the only real re like resource of its kind. And uh, it's, there's a bunch of shit to wade through there. It's, it's ridiculous. We have, we take a very hands-off approach to the moderation of the site for section 230 E or no section, the community decency act, right? That's the, CDA, yeah. Uh, publisher versus platform, right? The more you moderate, the more likely they are to classify you as a publisher and you become liable for everything that is done on your platform. Or it's not a platform anymore. It's now your newspaper effectively. Like, you know, if you if you edit and moderate the content, then it's a newspaper, not a platform. And there's a fine line uh, with the government on what that means. So if you're running this forum that's talking about this pseudo-illegal, you know, or pseudo-legal, who knows process of processing, you know, hash, <laughs> especially when we started, it's getting it, you know, it's less and less of a, a problem as we move on. But, you know, starting a cannabis processing forum does have implications and the type of people that are going to use it are liable to do things on there that they shouldn't be doing that. I don't want to be liable for. I mean, I, you know, per, go for it, do it all on your own, but I, I don't want it to be something that I get attached to. Right. So, in, in that sense, not wanting to be liable for what the people do there, we took a hands-off approach to the moderation as much as possible. And it's had its ups and downs, for sure. <laughs> have you had any, um, and you feel free to, to not answer this one, but have you had any issues with the government uh, fucking with you guys at all over the years? No, uh, absolutely not. And and Sidco has like a canary baked in. And if you search, you can read about it and figure out what that means and how that works. Um, Cause he got grilled pretty hard on it. And I was just like, I was like, look, if the gut, if the government wants to come and take the files, they're going to take them. And I promise you, I'll tell you guys that that's happened, right? You can't say no to them. They can't stop them. They already have it. They already have all of it. They're, just, they're really just coming to tell you, we took them all by the way, if you're lucky, I think most of the time, most of the time they have all the files. They don't tell you that they have the files and they, they maybe you're looking at it. Maybe not. You don't get a no. They don't tell you until they knock on the door and say, Hey, it's time to go to jail now, right? And hopefully, it's fucked. So, yeah. um, as far as I know, I, they've never approached me and said, hey, we're looking at this. Yeah, to think that, like, local PD haven't been on the forum, not a, like, there's not a chance that hasn't happened because uh, it's, like I said, when you Google all sorts of, you're a fucking Louisiana cop trying to figure out what the fuck they're talking about. THC D nine. All of a sudden these gummies are fucking left and right in the mail and they got it in the States over. Like what is going on? You go and start Googling. You're going to come across the forum. That's where you're going to get like, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's like the de facto resource. So, um, you know, our, our policy is don't do anything fucking illegal. Right. Yeah. Go, dude, and and Sidco goes out of his way to show people like safer ways to communicate digitally. He's like an opsec madman. Um, <laughs> he helped me harden a bunch of my operations back in the day. That's kind of like how we met initially. It, it, we met initially because his mom is an original skunk farmer, Catherine. Nice. 
Yeah. I know. Uh, I thought I knew what I was doing. So I hung out with some of the people at Occupy, you know, brought my stuff to a whole new level back in the, like 2011, 2012, whatever that was. That's how I was too. I felt pretty good about what I was doing. And then I came across Sidco and he's like decent, but here's why you're fucked. And then set me up on the right path. Yeah. It's always, uh, always a wild time, especially like you were saying back in the day when, when there was a lot more eyes looking for that kind of information because it wasn't really freely available unless you had access to some, you know, some of the harder to get by books and things like that, you know, and we were people talking were... about, we were talking about, for instance, on the last episode, uh, or maybe it was on that smoke show about THC, uh, Oh, for instance, and, and, and how to make that. And it was the art of hash making and modern, modern hash making or whatever it was back in the early seventies, but that was like the only published time before the internet really that you could even find that in a published form. And if you didn't have access to that book, you didn't even know it existed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was yeah. like a whole different time back then compared to what we have now. If AI, that's the AI, you know? <laughs> Dude, some of the AI chemistry models that are like coming up with new organic pathways to some of these synthetic fucking analogs are, is nuts. Like, finding new ways for people to just go to the store and buy the random ingredients and get to where, you know, they think they want to be on the other end. Like I wouldn't touch any of the fucking mushroom gummies of any type in, in any store right now. Well, like odds are it's some kind of soup full of weird analogs and DMT derivatives. Like no good. You don't want that. It's like the D it's D eight, but on crack it's whack. <clears throat> huh. I have not I have not heard of this. Uh, uh please uh, please uh, uh elaborate on this because this is something I have not heard of uh being a huge issue. I know a lot yeah. of people that are getting into the gummies now too, so this is good info. Yeah, um four MEO DMT. That right? Five MEO DMT is psilocin. Oh no no, right. no. psilocin is, is four or five. It's one of the two. Psilocin whichever one it's be... not, uh the other one is starts with a B, uh, but it's, it's in anyways, it's just a DMT analog. Um, but dude, it's, it's so great. And those are just, you know, pick the number and then alphabet soup. And there's just endless amount of these psychedelic analogs that are popping up right now. Research chemicals. You hear someone say research chemicals. That's, that's what they're talking about. Um, and a huge percentage of these gummies that are supposed to be from, you know, uh, psilocybin based gummies are not. I was looking at someone just sent me this COA of just a fucking soup of analogs and also had ibotenic acid and mucimol. It had a bunch of ibotenic acid and it had mucimol. I was like, so, okay. So, what? and I sent, I sent it off to one of my chemist buddies and I was like, okay, like impression. All you did was send him the picture and said impressions. And he's like, what the fuck, bro? I was, <laughs> and he, he, he kind of confirmed. He said, okay, this top portion up here looks like a soup. Like maybe it was an extract that they then went for some crazy conversions, a mess, like bad. Let's see the chromatogram. I bet it's just dirty as fuck. And then he's like, and also, wait a minute, what's up with the ibotenic acid mucimol? They definitely took like a, you know, amanita extract, a crude amanita extract that was not decarbed and just added it straight back in. Like just, the, it, it's the basics. If you decarb that extract, you'll, if you decarb the ibotenic acid in that extract, you'll increase the mucimol content. Uh, why wouldn't you decarb your crude? It, ibotenic acid is poisonous. It's toxic. Like, uh, if, why would you want to leave that in there? So if they're doing that, that base level chemistry, why would you expect these guys to be able to do much higher level conversion chemistry to like into 
and, and then and then you're consuming that. This is you're talking about bathtub chemistry that you guys are consuming on on like if you thought D eight was bad, this is night and day worse. Uh, just to uh, clarify, it was four hydroxy. Oh, hydroxy. That's right, four hydroxy. Yeah. Um, that, that was the confusion. That's psilocin. Um, yes, psilocin. Okay, yes. so then five uh, hydroxy. DMT is popping up all over the place. And then uh, 5-MCO or 5-ACO. I, I forget. Anyways, again, alphabet soup, they're just, they're continuously popping up. And uh, we, we see it a little bit in the cannabinoids too. I was just reading about another one, THC, JP or something. Like it's endless with yeah. the... JH. I just bought some the JH. other day just because I hadn't seen it in a store before. And it was actually, it was at the adult store. I was like, Go in there. I was looking for they they make this weird chocolate. I was going there for this chocolate that my uh, my girlfriend was looking for, and, and uh, um, you know we saw a commercial for it. So we, we were walking by after dinner, and it was like next door. So we stopped in there to, to grab some, and they didn't have the chocolates, but they had a box of this THCJH, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Apparently, it's another you know CBD formed something or other. Um, Maybe, but uh, you know. But yeah, it's it's really wild, and this is something else too. Like, is there issues? So for for people that don't know, like the biggest issue with D eight is the fact that like you're getting different isomers of the D eight. It's not like with the plant where you don't have anywhere near as many isomers and stuff like that. Um, it's not necessarily the D eight. Like most of the isomers of D eight are are pretty beneficial. It's the it's first of all the what are the the compounds and chemicals that they used in that conversion? Did they get them all the way back out? Are you sure that you're not consuming those fucking chemicals that are harsh as hell? Like the, the different type of catalysts that they use and the solvents that they use um, are not things that you want in your body. And, and, you know, like, so when we're talking about pharmaceutical grade uh, procedures and products, there's a reason that you don't buy pharmaceuticals at some dude who was in finance a couple of years ago, or, you know, like that didn't have a degree, isn't a pharmacist, didn't, doesn't have a chemistry degree is doing, you know, relatively high level chemistry and getting really sloppy end products and then selling it to you as D8. It's just, and that's the same thing that's going on uh, with the mushrooms, but I've consumed quite a bit of D8 and I'm not dead. And I really did appreciate the, the effects of D8. And, you know, we were doing very, um, mild reactions we were putting like bentonite uh just acidic bentonite which is a clay uh, like dirt effectively filled like purified clay dirt that uses uses a filter aid and you put that in the boiling flask while doing a distillation so you've just got this clay while you're cooking your your crude or your first fast distillate and that would convert quite a bit of the thc to da and other isomers i'm sure and uh that's what we were putting in vape pens it came well like water clear we were putting in that that in vape pens for years, or like early, early. We were putting that in there, and um, that stuff is the only thing that's ever cured me of my seasickness. My dad would take me fishing out in the ocean every year, and up until those, I was, it was miserable. I was fucking sick. Brought a vape pen once, one of these ones that we made, and uh, I was good the whole time. And ever since, like even even regular cannabis dabbing won't necessarily do it for me, but the D eight has uh, like a powerful antiemetic property um so purified d8 is really valuable in uh like the medical space with kids um because uh especially the kids going through chemotherapy because they part of the problem is they can't stay nourished because they throw up all their food but with high levels of d8 they can 
fight that uh, gag reflex, basically the anti-emetic effect um, and really helps with their overall chemotherapy outcomes, which is kind of interesting. That's really cool. Um, I've had a lot of good luck with different um, sublingual versions and different THC to uh, CBD ratios with Linwall uh, for, for those types of patients as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, so is there any other kind of like concerns with like what you were talking about earlier with some of these different mystery soups with some of the different isomerizations with some of these different mushroom compounds versus plant compounds? Can some of those be more of a problem or like what are some of the other issues that kind of people aren't considering? People are taking a crude extract of Amanita muscaria, which is a toxic mushroom. It has ibotenic acid. Pull ibotenic acid up. Let's look at that. Um, this is not a, a compound that you want to be consuming. It is a compound that the plant has specific or the mushroom has specifically to keep you from eating it. Um, and like I said, incredibly simple to remediate from the extract through, with just a little bit of heat. It, it decarbs nicely right over into municipal, which is the target active ingredient. Like that is the goal. It says uh, psychoactive, but, um, and it might be, see, it's a pro drug of mucimal. Um, let's see, it's a powerful neurotoxin, <laughs> uh, and a, a, it's a brain lesioning agent. So it's making little slices in your brain. Um, says negligible in small doses, but dude, not ideal. And again, if you go down, um, decarboxylation and demusimal, um, and then that, that's the, so like, there's no reason for you not to decarb. Um, and there's lots of reasons why you might not want to be giving people ibotenic acid. And it, it, it like when it says in small doses it might be negligible, but in high doses, it slices up your slices up your brain. Like I'm going to assume that the person that's consuming this on the other end is an absolute idiot, right? Like just as a liability risk, let's just assume. And so if they can go to the gas station and buy endless uh, gummies that's got ibotenic acid in it, how long till they can hit a high dose? They eat fucking 10 bags, 20 bags of ibotenic acid, and all of a sudden they got brain lesions? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> what, what's going on? So right there, like that's the risk of this, this gas station pharmacology is, you know who John Jones is, the fighter? he's a he's an mma fighter he's like best in the ufc at his weight class constantly getting in trouble Re had a fight maybe last year or the year before and but failed his drug test and was like look i'm a hundred percent clean i promise here like here's the exact list of all the things i take and one of the things that he took all the fucking time was boner pills from the gas station little like bumblebee you know, caffeine pills or whatever. And so they did a bunch of tests. Dude, you wouldn't believe the meth and steroids and just everything you could possibly imagine these little pills. That's the same level that you're getting uh, quality-wise over here. You're lucky if it's got psychedelic mushroom compounds in it at all. It, like, you, you, there's a very high risk of it being uh, research chemicals from China. So, dude, know your fucking source on, on all of this. It's, it's in, like, go to the grower. Find somebody that's growing mushrooms. Grow your own mushrooms and just eat those. If you were really so set on eating mushrooms, which I'm, I fully support, get one of these like ready to go grow bags that you can grow in like in your closet or whatever, and it takes zero work. That, that's the best way to do it. 
Yeah, no, that's that's totally uh, totally crazy that the it's that level of nuts. I remember back when I used to work in IT, back when I was shit when I used to work at the cyber cafe back when I was fifteen, sixteen. Used to buy those stacker twos, those little yellow pills at the gas station. You take like two of those, you can stay up for two or three days. Those are great, and you'd be able to buy no dos. I don't even think that's legal anymore. I, you, I don't think you can buy no dos anymore, but you could just <laughs> like. And it, it said it was just a bunch of caffeine, but you're buying what appears to be a pharmaceutical at the gas station. Like, there's no no regulate. There, that's not true. There is regulation. It's it's not enforced at all. It's uh, the same as because of the hemp confusion with everything. Cannabis is very minimally enforced anymore because the the police have their hands tied on what's legal and what's not legal like if it's just thca flour uh it's hemp apparently so people be selling weed in texas it's nuts at every store everywhere you go certainly a wild time and i was going to ask you too about all the different new cannabinoids that are on the market i know i've seen THCP, which I know I read the article about that a year or two ago, but um, seeing like the JH and the the uh, THCH and all these other funky ones, like I know that not all cannabinoids necessarily are safe. Um, you know, off the bat, there's there's actually was a pretty gnarly study in Portugal where they had 32 patients and like 18 of them ended up dying of ultimately uh, of that initial dosage with I forget which cannabinoid it was, some experimental cannabinoid. So dude. Some of them are bad and, and like some of them in some of the old pharmacology books, like, cause cannabis became illegal, but it didn't, there wasn't like a kibosh on researching it until like 20, 30 years after it became illegal. So there, there's this little like window where they're still doing research. And one of the pharmacology books lists out all the cannabinoids that they synthesized and had like toxicity ratings and like euphoria ratings. And <laughs> some of them are like, all of the monkeys died immediately <laughs> or like, it'll have like instead of a bunch of pluses it'll have like minus one on the euphoria and then like minus three on the you know safety and it's like all the monkeys killed each other <laughs> it's like dude some of them and so you, what that tells me is that there's probably a bunch that are in between too so and that's the dangerous most dangerous kind of poison right is the one where you don't you don't necessarily know like okay you consume this thing for six months or a year and it's built up this like low you know long-term dose that's now liver toxic right and that's this that's like the ibotenic acid right like sure maybe a little tiny bit of it okay a little tiny bit of it every day i don't know like a little bit of it in the morning in the evening no probably going to build up toxic amounts and your brain starts bleeding right like that you, you don't want to stumble into one of those and be the, the guinea pig for everybody else at least i, I don't right yeah it's totally crazy and some of these are pretty pretty wild um history so thco acetate was, was developed as a aerosol weapon by the military it's actually in the uh, the edgewood arsenal experiments which there's lots of hilarious videos on youtube if you want to watch check those out it was one of the drugs that was used in that in that testing as a non-lethal agent uh, basically the idea was to make people so stoned that they couldn't um fight back which you know to be honest with you it's kind of a great idea for a weapon it's really not it's bad it's if you've never yeah. been high before and somebody blasts you with like a, you know, military grade vapor cloud of THCO acetate, yeah, you could potentially get fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you're certainly uh, not doing a lot of any high level thinking, that's for sure. <laughs> no, like imagine you're in a bunker and they gas you with THCO acetate, just like fucking hot box the thing to the max, like <laughs> you're, you're done for. Right, and, and everyone gets to go home at the end of the day, like. 
it's the best. Well, you know, maybe. Most yeah, of you, them, anyway. Yeah, take you to the camp. <laughs> yeah. Or whoever, uh, you know, ultimately, if we could, if we can move war in that direction, I think that the world would be a better place. That's for sure. But um, uh, it is. So we can take yeah. better hostages, you mean? Well, just less less death, at least. Less injured um, hosp- hostages, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just injured from falling over. <laughs> yeah, they're they're cheaper to to maintain if you don't injure them when collecting them. It's, it's yeah. basic livestock management. Um, anyway, um, but there, there's also a, a thing I was reading. Where's there's an interesting thing that came out last year about how if it's over, I believe, it was 680 degrees Fahrenheit, so you have a really hot dab of it, um, actually can have some uh, level of toxicity to it because it uh it breaks down forget the the acetate component of it or something like that that was an interesting paper i was reading the other day look there's not a single good reason to be taking dabs at 680 fucking degrees or hotter um or anywhere near it really and there's a huge multitude of bad like terrible maybe die reasons like yeah turning your terpenes into direct carcinogens because you cooked them at 680 degrees yeah that should be enough to scare anyone away from hot dabs so proceed it with caution have you done any um playing around with any of the refrigerant extractions or anything like that or any of the other more exotic stuff or no just because the uh peddlers of those ideas are always so scammy <laughs> that it's just like uh scare it just it just turned me off to the idea um I, I with CO2, if you consider CO2 a refrigerant, which it can act as, um, yes, I have quite a bit of experience with CO2 extraction, but as far as like Freon or the R304 or whatever the, the green gas is, no. Just the, the hydrocarbons. <clears throat> sure. Um, you added a, a great talk on um, uh, mushrooms and cattle. Do you want to uh, talk about that a little bit? Because uh, I heard uh, good things. Yeah, that was super interesting. And actually, I'm going to go back this year and we're, I'm going to talk more about um, our gut microbiome versus the cow gut microbiome. And it kind of all plays together. But I've been on a deep dive on that in this year. Um, but yeah, the like a couple important takeaways is usually the way that psychedelic mushrooms is spread around the world is by humans uh, management of ruminating cattle effectively, um, but other ruminants too. And uh, the other super interesting takeaway is that most of the fungi that live in the gut of a cow and your gut are anaerobic, whereas typically all fungi are aerobic they breathe air but the ones in your gut do not breathe air they actually die in the presence of air those ones also have flagellum so they're like mobile in your gut they can swim around and pursue food sources the fungi in your gut most likely control the entire uh bacterial uh scape because they're effectively farming bacteria for exudates um is the thought process right now which is super recent up until like Maybe 10 years ago, they thought that those little swimming um, fungi were protozoa because they're swimming. And they're like, well, for, like mushrooms don't swim. They don't have flagellum. So, and flagellum is that little corkscrew thing on the end that allows little like single cellular uh, organisms to move around or like, you know, small cellular organisms to swim around. So they're like, it must be protozoa. But in the just recently, like the last 10 years, it got reclassified into fungi, which is super interesting. So there's 
fungi that swim around and don't breathe air inside of your gut. And they kind of rule the whole thing. And the implications of that are <clears throat> if I can, like, if I apply KNF to my gut, right? Like <laughs> I'm looking to find healthy indigenous microbes, cultivate them, like grow yogurt or kefir with them, and then consume those into the system. Cause I'm feeding that gut biome um, with all those organisms. Yeah. Uh, I like that that one's fuzzy. Yeah, so little little fungi that swim around like that, <clears throat> which is interesting. Nice. Those those could potentially be like the most genetically advanced fungi because then because you, you're looking for like that step, you know, the missing links between fungi and the next step of of life. Like, how did it get from there to the next? If that's the route it came, right? Um, and that that's a solid step towards it. I like that you mentioned uh, kefir as well, because I'm a big proponent of, of mixing that with traditional labs for making, especially for treating like mold out like powdery mildew or those types of things in plants. I find like the diversity just helps a lot. Also, you get a, a, a more a vitamin B output because a lot of those lactobacillus put out different vitamin B groups in that particular, um, you know, kefir and, and, the, and the traditional labs as well. So you end up with that, you know, increased uh, growth from that as well, depending on what you're growing. Yeah, I'm. We're just about to do like a long yogurt ferment with uh, L Rootery, which is uh, for the kids, um, and it's supposed to be one that actively combats uh, SIBO, which maybe one of my kids has, maybe not, but he's just got like some uh, uh, like skin inflammation that probably is attributed to a, a gut overgrowth. So we've like seriously ramped up the ferments, even though that's like it was kind of a bulk of what we eat, you know, meat that we grew and then some of the plants that we grew fermented. Uh, but we really ramped it up. So there, I started doing kefir because apparently kefir is, has a significantly higher, both diversity and CFU count than yogurt. And it's, it's way easier to do. It's, you get the culture that you can buy a culture that'll come freeze dried in the mail and you put it in like raw or, you know, ideally raw milk. Uh, and you leave it on the counter for a couple of days and it's turned into kefir. It's fucking fantastic. Like yogurt is relatively easy too. you. You got an Instapot, you can make yogurt. It just keeps it at the right temp, but it's got, it cultures at a, at a warmer temperature, like 115 degrees Fahrenheit where the kefir will go at room temperature. Although at like 80, it really thrives. I've, I've found, um, which is super easy. That's a heat mat. So now I just have warm milk on the counter turning into like a probiotic super drink. Um, and then we've been also feeding, uh, the kefir more prebiotic fiber. Um, so like a ribbon, which I am probably butchering the name of that. I think it's like a galactinate. It comes from, uh, like the large tree. That's a super one. Um, we're, we're looking into some gummies too, that are like prebiotic gummies because most of our ingredients already are, uh, prebiotics because of the avoidance of cane sugar. We went down different routes. So like tapioca syrup is a powerful prebiotic. It's an insoluble. And, and the reason that a lot of these sweet things are low on the glycemic index is because they are insoluble, but insoluble just means that it doesn't pass the gut barrier. doesn't mean that your gut biome doesn't feed on it. And that's why there's this, like people will say fiber is not important. And there are people that are strict carnivore that are proving that that is true. But also, if you're going to eat a balanced diet, if you're not just going to eat steaks every night, which 
it seems to be you can eat steaks every night and do pretty damn good, which is its own separate thing. But if you want to be like a little bit more balanced, um, then it makes a lot of sense to focus on feeding this gut biome that's going to handle the plants that you're about to put in it. And I think a lot of it has to do with we're not super optimized to eat really any type of plants unless they've been processed or fermented. Um, and, and if you don't, then it's just going to, it's going through like really rough stages of fermentation in your gut. That's not optimized to do, but like take your cabbage and turn it into kraut and your, you the bioavailability of the nutrients in there goes way up. And more importantly, um, it, it's like, again, look at KNF. You're not trying to, it's not that you don't have enough nutrients in the soil. It, it, it's that you don't, you're not, you're not feeding the life that's there and you don't have enough life that's there, the microbiome. Right. And so feeding the microbiome unlocks the nutrients that are, that are in your food, uh, seems to be the, the, the key here. And also keeping the balance of the fungi to bacteria, um, in its perspective zones, like the, what's in your actual stomach is a much different situation than what's in like it's very segmented throughout your, the rest of your gut. Like the first couple feet is a very specific uh, culture of bacteria and fungi are optimal for that area. <clears throat> and then the next, and, and these, these little zones have names as well. I can tell you on the top, but if you look at in detail and maybe we pass on pulling that up right now, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's really interesting stuff. And it's, it's something that, you know, I hadn't even really dug into the science of it until recently. It's pretty crazy. It's kind of, it's, it's definitely my passion. My fungi passion is falling into this like internal gut fungi, the, um, which is this wide open field. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's super, super cool. And there isn't a lot of uh, study on a lot of that. Um, one of the other ones I wanted to mention too, just because we we're on the topic, um, uh, shout out to Clackamas Coot for recommending this one a while ago as well. Um, uh, your average bamboo shoots, uh, fermented bamboo shoots, you can buy at the Asian store, even in the Asian section, has up to 327 different strains of lactobacillus, um, which Sweet. again, if you're trying to increase biodiversity, <laughs> you can find that in most most parts of the world pretty easily, um, and uh, or even make it yourself, uh, you know, make, make mizu. Uh, and um, that can be another great way to further diversify your lactobacillus uh, cultures. So uh, again, if you're you're looking for that type of stuff, I you know I highly encourage that. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you guys checked out last week's episode, um, or not last week's, the week before, uh, you know we talked where we have a, a really cool natural farming AI that we're working on, uh, getting up and running for people. Um, we'll have a great episode next week on Growcast with Caleb and I, um, giving some cool new demos with Jordan and talking about the AI over there, along with the. Uh, a preview of some of the, the cool voice stuff that we're working with as well. Um, ultimately, uh, we're hoping to make it for people that can't even, um, aren't even literate so that they can just talk to it and ask it things and then get a voice response back uh, in, a, in a similar, in their language, which is super cool, which we demoed uh, over on Jordan's show. So definitely check it out as well um, if you uh, if you haven't already. But uh, it is really kind of cool to see the, the merger of things like that. So what we did was we took all like Duke's database and a bunch of these other different huge data sets of plant nutrients and then fed them in so that you can make much more um, nutrient dense, um, you know, FPJs and other things like that, that are much more better account for individual plant nutrition um, to kind of take that concept and refine it. And there was a gentleman um, uh, we had on from Vietnam that was kind of doing this for, for aquaponics and liquid hydro. And I think it's really cool to kind of see, and, you know, your work doing this with the fungi and stuff like that kind of can take this to a whole new different direction with those same concepts, but 
you know, down this other other way that we haven't even touched. And no, dude, it's so crazy. It's literally K and F for your gut. But instead of using rice, I'm using uh, dairy and and growing out all these different like yogurts and kefirs. And you can just slightly tweak the indigenous microbe that you start with to grow out in that culture. Um, and, and then I'm using that to then I'm just multiplying it so that when I put it inside of me, it's maximized, right? Um, the, I'm playing with another really cool one. It's uh, yeast. It's Saccharomyces boyardii. Um, and the, it's used in winemaking to make like rosés. Uh, it's not, it can't live in your gut for very long. So you have to like continuously consume it. But I just took a bunch of blueberries and boiled them. And then when it cooled down, mixed in the Saccharomyces and then let it ferment for a couple of days in there and grow out, got all bubbly. It's, it tasted like blueberry bread dough. <laughs> I mean, it was just blueberries blended up with the, with the cult, with the yeast culture, but it's, and then just, I just put that in the fridge. It's good for a couple of weeks like that. And then you're going to save a little bit of the culture and add it to your next batch. And I feed the kids like a tablespoon of that. A day. We all eat a tablespoon of that a day. And it's got all sorts of crazy benefits in the gut biome. It's really interesting the, that you can just dose your biome with these, beneficial microbes that you've maximized in a solution and it, the, the effects that it can have on you. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It's like a fun little biohack. That's really cool. Have you done anything with like Jacoba or anything like that? Are you familiar with that? Mm -mm, I don't know what that is. There's an aquatic fungi and I was, okay, let me throw some images up here for people that haven't aren't familiar with it it's it's aquatic and it's rice wash grown oh, okay but not a lab so it grows these like coral yeah it looks like um let me throw up some full images up here real what? Quick. they're growing this in rice water yes it grows in water and you can look it up there's very few recipes i've posted and the Korean natural, if you look it up in the Korean natural farming group, I've put together three or four different full um, posts in it on Facebook. Are you, are you pretty good? Uh, like active, like you, you know, quite a bit about KNF. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm real good friends with Chris trained and I've used different KNF methods around the world. Yep. Very familiar. Um, but it, like if you had to recommend a book or like a couple books on KNF, what would you recommend? Is that uh... such, is there even such a thing or you've got to like, dig it out like did the master cho or whoever like write the guidebook and like so, it's yeah been so, the, so there is the original master cho book but a lot of that stuff is outdated at this point where we we kind of have some additional stuff that's tweaked it or changed it or the process is a little bit different i think mm -hmm. the best source currently out there is really chris trump um he's kind of yeah. perfected stuff like uh, a little bit more than everyone else i think for the most part uh on a lot of different topics not everything across the board but for instance like his discovery with the IPMO is, is really kind of game changing when it comes to pest control, you know, being able to make pest control that works for a really wide range of insects that typically don't, you don't have an easy bio control for, uh, or certainly not one that you could produce on site. That was game changing. It saved my ass in Zimbabwe and it really knocked about everything except for the thrips in, Th in Thailand. You know, that was the only thing that seemed to be of any kind of resistance to it. So you know, it really is super, super great for treating just a huge... I've even had people write me and say it worked on their broad mites. I mean, I'm not claiming it works on that, but I have, I have people that are using it for that and have great success. So it, and I've had great luck with stink bugs, leaf hoppers. We used it on bombardier beetles, or not bombardier, uh, blister beetles that give the ulcers on the goats and stuff like that. 
were great on them uh, in Oklahoma. So it really does work on so, and you're only culturing the local bacteria or fungi that are on your property already. You're increasing the population, you know, and it's 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 very very non toxic and um, something yeah. I think really is a, a you know something that's really different. So that I, again, that in my opinion, he's kind of the best source of knowledge on it. But book wise, there's a really good one on Jadam insect. Uh, control that I really like, um, but that's probably Jadam is. Can you can you tell me what that acronym acronym is? Jadam. So Jadam was kind of like KNF for people that want to be a little less precise. I guess I call it the sloppy lazy version of KNF. Uh, nice. I'm, I like version. that. So <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> but um, I think that a lot of times, this is my opinion. Jadam, you can screw it up easier and create like a disaster easier than with KNF because KNF is a little more precise and you're doing a little bit more targeted collections of things. Whereas Jadam is a little more shotgun blasting with microbe collections in particular. And I've seen people have more problems accidentally trying, you know, not do it quite understanding it with Jadam than I have with KNF. So, and also if you're trying to pass like a food safety thing, like, you're going to have way better luck passing with liquid IMO than you are with JLF. Just like, especially sure. if you're doing microbial testing, like it's not yeah, going to yeah. happen. For sure. <laughs> yeah. No, if you're growing weed, super important. Cause I've, I've like read, uh, Masanova's one straw revolution super early and have taken a lot of his practices to heart. Um, and a lot of it is like do nothing. And, and you know, this is a microbiologist that realized that he didn't know shit and didn't even really need to know shit about it. Cause as long as he worked these systems that, you know, these natural systems and work with nature. Um, and, and so like, for instance, I was reading this just kind of like guideline to KNF and it was, I was reading about KNF poultry and I'm already doing 90% of what it said to do. The only thing I'm, I'm missing is like the intentional inoculation of my deep litter mulch uh, floor which, you know, I learned through other people as like a carbon blanket or a carbon diaper effectively that just composts in place and it's on a dirt floor. So it just like the indigenous microbes that are there are in it and it's composting and that just kind of cycles into the garden constantly. Um, but I know I could be boosting that whole setup and I could be boosting the, the birds directly with some ferments um, that they would like directly consume. Yeah, so I I gotta take Chris's class. Is he doesn't have a book? I'm surprised he doesn't have a book. I'll talk to Chris as well. I'm I've become decent friends with Chris in the past couple of years because of Cassandra. He's a great online course and stuff uh, as well. If you can't make his in person ones, and he's got a wonderful YouTube where he talks about mo you know most of the basic stuff uh, in depth over there as well for people that are just getting into it. The other one that I think is really interesting that people don't talk about just on the canisters. Is Nigel Palmer? He did some work with like vinegar extractions and trying to get more like PPM values on a lot of the KNF stuff. Kind of focusing on like a lot of more like what I did with the aquaponic merging with the KNF is trying to focus on mineral values at the same time uh, and kind of utilizing it as like a machine to increase bioavailability of those. So he's another one that has a lot of published uh, PPM values for different KNF. Probably the only other person aside from myself that spent any amount of time or money. Uh, you know, PPM testing uh, for, for your normal grow nutrients on KNF stuff. Chris has some stuff as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I guess in like a relatively close small system like that, it matters more than like, you know, field cropping. I'm not necessarily as concerned about the PPMs per, you know, square foot of my, my soil. And, and I know people, farmers 
are that are, but I'm always of the opinion. We just add a bunch of organic material to the field at the end of the year. Um, ideally some manure and, and organic material and the compost is going to kind of do its thing. Right. Especially if we're doing a broad scale IMO, uh, like, uh, what IMO five, is that, is that the right terminology? Like the late yeah. stage IMO where you've taken it and you've now spread it to the mass. Like I'm, I've, uh, I'm making a giant vat of yogurt. <laughs> nice. I've even been, I had really good luck using, um, lactobacillus for extractions as well. Uh, I don't know if you've, have you played with that at all? So for instance, you, if you do like a, I call it a super labs or blue labs. So we'll ice water lab. Uh, so we'll do labs, but we'll do um, spirulina and kelp. So we'll do uh, you know, two pound or one pound of spirulina to uh, like a quarter pound of kelp to get the auxins. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, to like four gallons of milk and then, uh, you know, a quarter gallon of rice wash and make a really big bat. And you can scale that down as well. You don't have to use quite as much milk, but um, basically it rips out the phycocyanin from the uh, spirulina and it really makes this incredible growth accelerator. You can all, when you based off that separation layer of the blue, in fact, I could pull up pictures of it, but um, it, uh, what's cool is you can put it on a plant that's heavily damaged. Like I had some peppers that my ex forgot to uh, water and the leaves all were dried on these peppers. They were all maybe about, you know, foot tall, foot and a half tall. The leaves were like paper crumble off. We poured uh, and there hadn't been watered in three, four weeks. Poured on the super labs, and within three days, there was new branches coming out of every dead leaf node off this plant that was dead for all intents and purposes was completely dead. And it brought this thing not necessarily back to life. It wasn't completely dead, but it it basically rehabilitated it enough to to come back. And I've never seen anything else have that kind of like resuscitation factor on, on plants that were just basically in, in all other cases, just a complete lost cause. Yeah. Would have so, been dead otherwise. Yeah. So if you have an emergency, like you come in and like everything's trash, you know, or you're cleaning up from someone else's mess, it, 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 it a few things can resurrect plants the way that can, or Hey, you're, you're beating an insect outbreak back. And you just need to rejuvenate the plants and give them that extra oomph to kind of recover so you can meet your, your harvest times or whatever. It really, really is great. Just uh, um, in flowering time, sometimes it can slow uh, flowering if you hit it right when they're, um, you know, right the first two weeks when you flip them. So I don't recommend using it then, but anytime outside of that transition period uh, uh, is perfectly fine. Nice. Well, I don't understand in KNF the, um, like the sustainability issue with having to use refined sugar. What, like that, I, I, that's the part I don't like I, as uh, someone that intends or like shoots to operate with closed systems, you know, or like circular systems, the, the, for me being able to grow a shit ton of refined sugar for the osmotic, you know, purposes and to feed the, the microbes is uh not sustainable <laughs> you know what i mean oh no I, I definitely understand that part of it it just comes down to chemistry of if you want to shelf stabilize your soil microbes for three or four years no one's mm -hmm. figured out another way to do that yet That's, can you use honey hey you know i'm not sure i do know that honey has some additional compounds the bees put in it that make it more antimicrobial um, that's mm, why it works good as a, as a wound dressing, for instance. So, right. you know, it could have, and also too, think about it. If you had different, it would depend on the flower as well. What flowers were they harvesting that from? Because many flowers have secondary, you know, metabolites that would also mm -hmm. be antifungal or anti, I can think of a few off the top of my head that would be 
antibacterial or antifungal uh, off the bat because of the nectar. Yeah. Um, in, even if I like refining uh, honey, it's not that difficult. You can dehydrate it, crystallize it out, wash it, get it down to like it's, it's sugar components pretty quickly. Um, but that's the only where I'm at. It, I, I could see in certain places where like maple syrup, you could do the same thing. You could um, refine a sugar out of maple syrup. But other than that, it becomes this like at scale, it seems like such a large cost, right? Like if I'm trying to do broad scale KNF of, you know, think, think like a hundred acres of food forest, the amount of sugar I'm going to need is substantial, right? Yes, but you, but you're only like you're you're using it to either for your FPJs or you're doing it mainly mostly for your your IMO right for stabilizing your IMO mm -hmm. collections. Um, so yeah, you do use a decent amount, but you also don't need a whole lot. You know what I mean? If you're doing a yeah, super concentrate, yeah, exactly. So it's not at least for the IMO portion of yeah, all of them. You're at a one to one thousand almost on right. dilution rates. So did someone else in chat mentioned maybe sugar beets could be a potential definitely alternative. That's a, that'd be, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, certain, it, it, then it gets down to the, like, uh, I don't know the amount of processing it takes to get to the, the refined sugar. It, it seems like a big, like spot where there could be like a massive refinement of the technique that replaces the refined sugar aspect. And I understand like that it's playing multiple different roles, which is nice and concise, but, uh, kind of it kind of like breaks the Masanobu model of no work and dude was so successful in Japan with his rice farming, like some of the highest yielding rice farms in the entire country with the least amount of inputs. Um, and I, I, I could just imagine him being told that he needed to have all this sugar that he was doing all these concoctions with. And he probably would have shrugged at it and said, sure, it probably works great, but I'm not doing it. It's too much work. <laughs> That's definitely one of the differences with Jadam. They don't use the sugar the same way like like KNF does. Definitely is one one criticism for sure uh, about it. Um, speaking of of extracts and honey, um, have you done much in the world realm of, of proper mushroom extracts? You talked about so all the crappy ones, but uh, I know I've experimented with uh, both mead and honey and uh, seventy percent alcohol to thirty percent water extracts, and a little bit one one or two runs with the, uh, the ice extracts, but. What have what have you found really be to be kind of the the safest uh, methodology for for extraction? Um, as far as like extraction on a psychedelic mushroom, yeah. Um, safest would probably be like an acidic water extraction for you guys. Um, best is going to be methanol, but you probably shouldn't be playing with methanol if you're not in like an appropriate lab. Um, an ethanol extraction and a sonicator will work decent um and then just with a little bit of acid base you can get the compounds where you need them to be and in, in the correct solvent um i'm i'm a big fan of the psychedelic extracts though uh <clears throat> it's much friendlier on, your, on my gut uh I, i'm super sensitive to chitin so raw mushrooms raw psychedelic mushrooms didn't, you know you dried or fresh doesn't matter i did not sit well with me um, yeah, that's definitely, so, definitely something I found as well. Taking, you know, putting it into a carrier and taking them sublingually was much more, uh, much more pleasant uh, on the stomach for sure.
Yeah. No, I've had like brown fruiting bodies that are in chocolates uh, and also gummies that also don't give me the gut. And it it's potentially uh, because those ground finely ground up mushrooms have been emulsified into uh, the fats or the sugar uh, comp like constituents that are in there, um, allowing them to get past wherever it, it really feels like the chitin is disruptive to my like uh gut like at, like my uh, my stomach like my but you know it's hard to say where you're when you don't feel good in your gut which which part it's coming from but i really feel like it's in my stomach and by the time it gets past that i'm fine um but if you eat like eat a couple grams of raw mushrooms always makes me feel like makes my gut feel bad but the equivalent in the extract not at all i feel great yeah it's definitely something that uh I wish more people had access to for sure because it's uh I think in the next couple of years we're gonna see a lot more legalization and uh, it's gonna be helping a lot more people than uh than people realize. These fingers crossed so. anyway. You never know uh premier premier warlord Trump uh takes office, uh all bets are off. Yeah, I don't know. The cat's like out of the bag. It doesn't even you know, the government the government can't go against the tide, right? It's just about getting the tide to move in the right direction. And right now the tide is, it's like bodegas in New York city, right? You can shut down a fucking thousand of them and they won't ever stop it. They now know that they can do it, right? They're going to keep selling all this shit, especially now that it's all hemp. Like there's no way in hell that he could go backwards. Well, it's really funny here in Tennessee now, you know, with the, I went to the dispensary the other day. It's a head shop in the back. You never know if it's, it's all THCA. You know, and, yeah. and half the stuff's been dusted with THCA crystals. So you look at it and it's like, you know, sparkling and all. And it's like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, can we can we just tax this and stop being stupid? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's not nuts. Yeah. When it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's why there's so much weird extraction shit going on right now is because of this funky gray area because of the way the hemp wall was written. Yeah, 100%. It's whack. What uh, what do you kind of see as the kind of future of the next year or two in terms of extract stuff and trends or interesting um directions things are moving towards in cannabis or in, in my both in both well, cannabis seems like it's on a fast track to like nah, nationwide acceptance and uh, consolidation into like big super brands um and mycology right now feels like the early days of the hemp rush um and i i bet it's got like half the legs on it as the hemp rush does so like hemp rush really went from like 2014 until maybe 2020 it's really kind of the fucking collapse <laughs> maybe 2019 20 so i had about five six years i see yeah mycology like starting with this year that we just 2023 was the first year of it. So I bet we got like a good two years left before it's the same. And it's like uh, these people bounce from hemp right to mushrooms. I wonder what most of these older people, what, what kind of shit they were into before that, that they hopped out of like, you know, a bunch of them were in the dot com <laughs> fucking boom and buzz. They've like constantly been on the thing that if you hit it right, you can make some money, but most people get in just slightly too late. It's crazy. I see the same thing happening in the mushrooms too. Everybody and their, their freaking brothers into it right now. So it's gonna it's just basic market dynamics, right? Supply is going way up.
demand is going up a little bit too, but not as fast as supply is going up and prices are coming way down. Um, and it's getting like, like I said, any smoke shop in America that in a state that doesn't have legal weed has a, a, a counter with fucking weed that they're calling hemp and mushrooms for sale. It's crazy. Oh, like yeah. mushroom, mushroom gummies and chocolates. And, and again, what percentage of that is actually mushrooms and what percentage of it is equally illegal, uh, you know, schedule one uh, psychedelics is, is fucking wild. Yeah, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Uh, that, that and like the truffle, the truffle explosion, you know, seeing truffles for sale all the time now. And, and a bunch of it's other a sign. There. It's a sign of our government being unable to control like the people like they want us to believe that they can right like mass uh dissonance or mass not dissonance but um disobedience they can't do anything about so they just kind of have to let it slide because they start talking up about it and we like double down then they're really screwed what are they gonna do start shooting people raiding shops like raid every single fucking shop maybe i guess you could do that but i think people might fight back or at least you know like protest who knows? Yeah, that definitely will be uh, interesting. As uh, someone that was arrested at Occupy, uh, I think we're we're in for something that's going to look ten times more crazy here this year, this coming election year. That's for sure. I don't, I'm not convinced that there's going to be an election this year at the current rate. Yeah, well, you never know. Uh, world events are <laughs> getting more crazy by the minute. So, if they don't let Trump on, like. But however many uh, state ballots that it's important, then I could easily see the Trump orders using violence and that violence being used as an excuse to institute um, like state of emergency orders, which would include, uh, you know, pushing the election back. Right. And if you think big time conspiracy, then Trump is, is 100 percent part of the whole fucking conspiracy. And that would be the perfect play. Like get all the Trumpers mad about Trump not being able to run in this fucking rigged election. Like <laughs> the craziest part is that the Democrats were telling us how rigged the elections were. And then the Republicans were telling us about how rigged the elections were. And it's like, those are the only two people fucking talking and they're both yelling about how rigged the elections are. It's like, well, maybe the elections are rigged. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, no. I mean, we all, we all watched as uh, Debbie Washerman Schultz was forced to resign the day before the DNC convention because they got caught red handed illegally rigging the election against bernie sanders i mean that that happened dude you know? they were it's rigged within the fucking their own side yeah <laughs> completely illegal by the way you know, oh yeah all of it well Brazil. what does that mean illegal oh i know that's but like my point is, if, you're, if you're going against the will of the voters that's you know you're, you're not honoring democracy it's just that simple yeah, well, Mark said democracy is the fucking first step to socialism, and then that's how you get to uh, communism, and that's how you get to a dictator. It's great. <laughs> it's like the fucking the only, model. The only uh, true democracy in history was pirate ships. Everyone had an equal vote, and, <clears throat> and uh, you know they'll kick your ass off the boat if you're if you're an asshole. Yeah, well, and then you could argue that like a Native American tribe was fairly democratic. Um, but, but I, I don't know. I guess not. I don't think there's anything, any such thing as democracy. The only like system that seems to work is like self-government. Like 
you have to take care of yourself and, and, and part of doing that and, and being a selfish person, uh, the most selfish thing I can do is make sure your life is better because the better your life gets, the better my life gets. And if all the people around me have really great lives and I'm the guy that helped them get there, then they're looking out for me too. So like selfishly, in order to make sure my life is optimal, I just need everybody around me to be optimal as well. And if like, so if you have that mindset, um, that I think that is the appropriate basis of self-government. And then that has to be built on the backbone of like massive abundance, right? There can't be any of this idea of scarcity, right? We have these systems right now that put people into these, uh, you know, ca- like it's a cage they can't see because it's not a real cage and it actually isn't really caging them in. They're just, they've, they've been led to believe that they have to live in this shitty little urban life that is a, a, a scarcity mindset. So they feel like they need to take advantage of other people to get ahead. When in reality, if you step just a little bit outside of that cage, you can see on the other side, like fucking earth provides, bro. Like money grows on trees. It's nuts. You, you plant a seed, money grows. It's, <laughs> it's really simple. You have dirt, you have sun, like money comes out. Just wait a little bit. You'll see. Um, and if you could get more people into that, like agrarian ideals of wealth generation, dude, life, life gets so much easier. And, and so again, back to like the only, I don't need democracy if everybody's, pure goal is to selfishly make their own lives better through improving this whole system that we share together. Um, that has to be the ideal. The trick is how do we get from what we, the shitty thing that we have now to that utopian thing that we see on the other side without, you know, like most of the people dying. (laughs) That's, that's the trick. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, any other, uh, tips that you have? Someone asked any tips you have for people that are just getting into extraction? Um, and trying to get into the space or learn, uh, you know, people that are, you know, just turning 21 or whatever that want to kind of learn about the industry. Yeah. I mean, get on the forum and do the research, use the search bar, like dig in. There's years of content there. Like anything you want to learn is there. Um, and, and like, depending on you yourself and your situation, jump into it, start doing it, be fucking safe. Uh, figure out how to do it safe. Use this site right here to level yourself up. That's the whole point of it. Um, it's got everything you need to know right there to, to start manufacturing dude. And like, seems to me like you get a hemp license and start selling fucking hemp and it's like, gets you high hemp. So that seems like a cool little hustle, but it's blown out. So into the mushroom extraction world is, is a pretty unique little space right now. There's people starting to blow up on it. Um, <clears throat> start looking into the extraction of other uh, plants, Be, you know, find something novel there's there's lots of cool new shit going on um and just do it like get out and start doing it that's that's how i got into it i just started doing it because it was like a necessity had an abundance of this one thing go find somebody's trash uh you know trash and figure out what you can extract out of it to make it into something that's valuable because often you can get paid to take someone's trash whatever that trash may be like example in town it's called the fish plant they get paid by all the fish processors to take the fish waste and they turn it into organic fish fertilizer that they sell for a premium. So they're getting paid on both ends of it. Like turning trash into gold is like the, a classic way to make money. And, it, and it's cool with extraction. It gets crazy because there's, there's lots of waste processes, like in agricultural areas, anywhere with like nut crops, they've got the shells that they shelled. And that often is a waste product. Um, all sorts of weird little waste products that have some extraction potential. And if you're looking to do something like big and novel, look outside of cannabis and, and mushrooms. Cause that's what everybody else is looking at. Like extraction is far and, and wide and it applies to like all, all over the natural world. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And that, yeah, you, there's a lot of equipment out there that you can you can re reuse for other things. Um, another good resource too, if you guys are looking at especially mushroom stuff, Hamilton Morris is, has a great um, podcast. Uh, a lot of you guys know him from um, uh, uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopia. He actually has a really super kick-ass podcast, almost 100 episodes. They're like three, four-hour long format uh, stuff. He just said a, a, a bunch of really good ones on mushrooms, like the last five or 10 episodes. So definitely check that out as we're looking for other resources on that particular topic as well. I know I've learned shit ton on there this year in particular. Yeah, that Microfest talk was super. I'm like just a couple of feet off screen to the right. Uh, that was a fantastic talk he gave as well. It was the one that just popped up on the screen. Oh, we'll cool. Give that a listen. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, definitely want to make it out to Microfest. I was speaking that weekend at a different event for uh, when Microfest was going on, but uh, I definitely want to make it out to it. Um, the book that they have, what's it called? Uh, they have a fucking killer book, the guy that started that. You mean William's book? The Cordycep uh, one? No. One second. What are you talking about? Uh, it's a big giant tome. It's like black and red. That started what? Didn't the guy start, start Microfest? He's got a book too. Can't think well, of the name. Yeah, his, the, guy, the guy that started Microfest is, was, is William Padilla Brown. He was standing in that screenshot on Hamilton's thing because he's about to introduce Hamilton. He has written a book. He wrote like one of the first English uh, books on cordyceps when he was like, I want to say he was like fucking 19 when he did that. I, I could be wrong on the date. I know he's really young when he wrote this book and um, he's just like a high level. He's like probably a professional mycologist. You could call him that at this point. He's probably mastered the, the trade and has made enough money on it. That you might call him a professional mycologist, a citizen scientist to the max. Very cool. Um, Dude's a super inspiration, but that's who started it. And his, he didn't, he doesn't have a big tome. You know what I think of when I hear of a black book with red as a big tome is John Marco Allegro, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. It's like a black this book with a red. I found it. Radical Mycology. That's what I was thinking. Oh, who is that? That's, um, what's his name? Uh, Peter McCoy. That's who I yeah, was Yeah, no, of. he's not involved right. in Mycofest. I want to say Peter was involved with like the Port Angeles Myco thing. Cassandra knows more about, about him than I do. She's pretty connected into that space. I'm sorry. I, I mix up my mushroom guys sometimes. I apologize to uh, it's all good, dude. the respectable yeah. people or respective people and respectable people alike. I think everybody's happy that we're talking about them and their events on a podcast. Like it's all in the right. <laughs> And then we had to clarify. So now people have to like look and follow along and like, oh yeah, this it's a super, super good book right there. It's yeah, wild. this one. I remember um, my first time I saw it was a bit shout out Josh and Kelly, Dragonfly Earth Medicine up at their house. And uh, Josh showed me this and it had like all this cool stuff about endophytes that I had never learned about before. And uh, they kind of opened the door to you know, endophytes, uh, endophytic fungi in particular. Um, yeah, it was it, it was really really mind opening and uh, just a really cool book. Um, also, uh, shout out to our friend uh, uh, Cass, uh, who puts on a really dope festival each year. Uh, I spoke at it the first year. Dustin's spoken at it both years. Chris Trump speaks at it every year. Hopefully, I'll be able to get back out there next year. But uh, uh, it's a really cool um, festival. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have it again uh, in 20, 
24. And um, this right here is the best West Coast uh, mushroom festival. And uh, Myco Fest is the best East Coast mushroom festival. Our friend Matt Powers, another great dude, one of my closest friends. I probably talk to Matt Powers more than any other human being on Earth on a weekly basis. I talk to him at least once or twice a day, I feel. I believe it. The man can talk. Yeah, he's fun. Yeah, another incredibly uh, intelligent human. For sure. And yourself as well, man. I've learned, again, a lot from you over the years. And uh, I didn't quite realize who you were when I first met you. And, and I wish I had known. Like, I'd put two to two together when we were together the first time. So I uh, very much appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And uh, anything else you want to mention to our, uh, our listeners? Anything that you have coming up uh, events-wise or anything you have, uh, that they can support for you next year? Um. I'm going to be doing a tour called weird brains and, and then kind of like the drugs that, that correlate um, with a couple of PhDs that I'm friends with this year. We're going to be at next. We'll be at Boston uh, for any can. I believe that's at the beginning of March um, doing our talk there and we'll do it a couple more times, but we'll get it recorded and put it up. It's going to be really interesting. I think um, kind of like how do these non neurotypical people associate with cannabis or like, and what's the connection there and why do so many people that have this similar kind of like neurotype uh, all consume cannabis therapeutically the way they do. Um, so just, and they've done a bunch of really interesting research on it. So I'm kind of help promote that. And we're going to do this little panel discussion about it with a little guest at each different region we're at. So that's going to be kind of cool. Um, and then my, like my college speaking tour is kind of the second half of that. And it's, uh, weird guts so with them it's weird brains and then with this it's weird guts and then the plan is the following year we'll tie it together and talk about you know the impact of the gut fungi on the brain function uh, because we are all just mushrooms so like <clears throat> optimizing that like mushroom incubator you got um really optimizes the rest of your biological systems uh, so yeah knf for your gut that's that's kind of the the idea No, that's super cool, and uh, and I hope uh, I very much look forward to kind of seeing where your research goes with that. Uh, I did want to shout out one other person. Uh, well, since we mentioned uh, earlier, you're talking about the little kits. Um, I want to shout out Homie Tanasi, started this company, uh, Sacred Three Mushrooms. He has lots of great mushroom kits and gear and all kinds of different stuff over there. Uh, if you're looking for you know easy to grow kits and stuff like that, regardless of what type of stuff that you're growing. Uh, in what species that you're, you're choosing to grow. Um, they do have lots of great supplies and it's from a great dude who supported the cannabis community for a long time. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen him over at um, Dude Grows. Also, when uh, we were raising money to help um, our friend there, uh, Jay Maestro, uh, also be sure to donate to Jay Maestro's one. You should be able to find the link in the description. Um, he's, we're raising some money for him. He's a big longtime supporter of the cannabis community who needs a little bit of help with the cancer treatments right now. Uh, and um, he's did a, a lot of work where he uh, donated a bunch of mushroom kits to help uh, get people to uh, auction off for that. So shout out to Tenacity and shout out to, to Jay Maestro. Shout him out. Alrighty. Well, uh, thanks a lot. And uh, how can people find you if they want to find you and, and uh, support what you're doing? Uh, I'm on Instagram at future4200. 
that's the name of the, the form as well.com. Um, those are probably the two best spots. We can, the good life gang's got a website and Instagram. You'll figure it out if you're interested. Um, hit me up directly and, uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Very much appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, all the hard work that you've been doing and, uh, you know, making this super awesome community for everybody to kind of have to, to bounce ideas off of. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, let me, let me shout out one other thing that we're, uh, we've been working on for, so we're doing a little, let me tell a story here. I was looking for vitamin D gummies for my kids because it's hard to get them to eat enough liver and like fish oil throughout the winter to get enough vitamin D. Um, but I didn't like the quality of any of the gummies I could find. Um, I work with one of the best gummy manufacturers in the world and we came up with a, like basically a prebiotic gummy. It's pectin based. Uh, it's got allulose and agave nectar, although we can also do maple syrup. Um, and then we put, uh, vitamin D3 animal derived vitamin D3 into the gummies. Um, and it's called crunchy kids. Um, and so if you are in the Northern hemisphere and it's winter time right now and you're not outside for like a couple hours in direct sun every day with your shirt off you should be supplementing vitamin d best way to get it is through like beef liver um or uh like fish products you can get it from mushrooms but it's vitamin d too it's not as bioavailable it's not as beneficial it, it's better than nothing um put your mushrooms out in the sun and they get even more vitamin d too uh, put your raw meat out in the sun and it gets vitamin d3 which is interesting but um so I just want to encourage everybody. Most Americans are deficient in vitamin D and it's an essential hormone to like your immune system and your own hormone systems. Uh, so, you know, make sure that you're getting enough vitamin D specifically in the winter. Um, uh, and if you're darker, the darker skin you are and the further North you are, the harder it is for you to metabolize uh, the UV rays to, produce the hormone in your system from the sun. So the darker your skin, the more likely you are to need to supplement, especially in the winter. Just, uh, you know, check, check yourself. Know yeah. Yeah. That's worth That's really, that where can, is there a, sorry, is, that a is there a website for that? If people want to get those. Yeah. Um, we're on Etsy at crunchy kids. We'll be on Amazon here in the next couple months, but if you just go, I bet if you just Google, and it's crunchy kids with a K. I have to go crunchy kids. Uh, crunchy kids Etsy. If you look, we're on Etsy. If you if you do it on Etsy, you'll see it. Um, we're on uh, Instagram and kind of we're on TikTok as well, which I hate to say, but if you want to play the uh, Amazon game, there's a very specific method. But uh, if anybody's interested, feel free to hit me up directly. I'll, I'll link you in. You can take a look. We, we cite all our research. We've got it all you know, referenced on our claims on vitamin D. And again, first and foremost, go out in the sun. Like, Don't buy supplements. Go get in the sun. If that's not possible, get it through your diet. If that isn't like something that you feel comfortable or, or responsible enough to do consistently because it's hard and you got little kids and life's hard with a bunch of little kids running around, um, these vitamins are the like highest quality i specifically made them so that i could feed them to my kids there we there go. go found it took me a second i apologize 
That's okay. Crunchy Kid. Crunchy Kid on uh, uh, with oh, a yeah, K uh, on uh, on Etsy. Yeah, we have adult. You know, the the adult one's five thousand IU, and the kid one is five hundred IU. Um, and uh, I strongly encourage everybody if you can afford it to go get your blood tested and see what your vitamin D levels are at. Very interesting. That's really cool. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing a, a whole host of knowledge. I know I certainly learned a lot and uh, I'm definitely going to have to have you back on again in the future. Thanks so much. Yeah, this was uh, fun talking with you, man. Yeah, absolutely a blast. Really appreciate it. And uh, one last uh, note here at the end of the show. Um, be sure to check out uh, Copyleft Cultivars if you guys have a couple extra bucks, you want early access to natural farming AI, or you just want to come out and support us uh, and help the movement, uh, you guys can check that out. Again, check out last week's episode and on uh, Growing with Fishes, and then next week's episode on um, the Growcast with Jordan River, And uh, if you want to learn more about it. All right, everybody, thanks for watching. Um, you guys can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the things. You can also find this channel in video format over on Rumble as well. I know a lot of people are switching to Rumble because uh, YouTube's getting increasingly uh, harsh, especially I think with this next uh, election year, it's going to get harder and harder to have a free voice on YouTube. So uh, I think we might eventually transition over there entirely. We'll kind of see how things go in the next year. But uh, I know some other cannabis people are facing some harassment on their channel lately. So thanks everybody for watching. So catch you guys again next week in the new year. Have a good 